Welcome to Making Waves, a show about sound art, produced by New Adventures in Sound Art. I'm your host, Darren Copeland, and in today's show we have both the video version on NasaTube, as well as the radio show for WGXC Wave Farm. Today we have a conversation uh, that I recorded with Canadian interactive media artist Don Ritter. The conversation took place at the beginning of his sound installation, O Telephone, which is on exhibit at the NASA North Media Arts Centre in South River, Canada. We talked about the role of sound in interactive media and how O Telephone is a much different piece than his other interactive works. O Telephone was originally made in 2007 for six phones and eight speakers, but the version at NASA uses only one phone along with the eight speakers. discovered, at least my perception, was that when we have a visual experience, whether that is art or whether it's, you know, looking out the window, our comprehension is sort of much more, I would say, logical. Like, if I look at the window now, the logic of, I can see the sun is coming down. I can see across the street. But music, and I would say sound in general, has much more capacity to to induce an emotional feeling mm-hmm. that was my my perspective of it uh, tell me the differences of working with and without video what, what are some of the um, uh, opportunities that are there when, when uh, video aspect is removed if I think about it, every one of my projects since then, has mu- not necessarily music, sometimes music, but always audio, sound effects. I really enjoy you know, doing doing sound effects in a way that it, it appears that the object is creating the sound. And in most cases, it's not. Because sometimes when I'm shooting like water or fire, for whatever reason, I'm not recording the audio, and then I have to add it. So I think I became, uh, I really spent a lot of time, uh, you know, writing about the different what I call uh, sound image relationships, and in my teaching as well. That's one thing that 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 I emphasize. So I would say the introduction of sound into my work added um, an emotional impact. And and many years ago, I wrote, and I think my first published article, which was in Music Works. And it was called Interactive Video as a Way of Life. Um, it, was, it was all about how that when you experience something interactive, that um, it almost seems alive. And in general, I mean, the nice example I like to give is, you know, when people go to a music performance, let's a rock and roll is cheering and clapping. You can see the crowd has been pushed to this emotional level. Can you imagine going into a museum and looking at a Rembrandt going, oh yeah, great. People would think you were crazy, right? <laughs> but why can you do it in front of music? And that really became to interest me. So, so that's, you know, that's what I like about adding audio or adding music to, to a video work is it adds this um, emotional 
impact, which is, I guess there's still an emotional impact to, to visuals, but again, if you're screaming, oh, this is such a great photograph, people think you're nuts. Right? Um, but the history of when I, I guess, you know, when I was a grad student there, I had developed this piece of software where music would control video, and, and then, you know, one of my, I'll say sugar daddies was, I should say sugar daddy, was Kenneth Council. And, and mostly I was, you know, writing this software about video being controlled. Um, and at that time, you know, even like a, like a, you know, one gigabyte disk drive was really quite expensive. And video projectors, well, not even possible for me to buy a projector. And I think I got two or three Kenneth Council grants in a row this is coming back to, to your question. Um, and, and then I didn't get it one year. And I thought, gee, well, I'll do a sound piece. And, and um, that's the history. And that, that piece, I don't know if you want me to, maybe I can explain it later, called Intersection. What people usually call it Dawn's Car Piece. It really became my most widely exhibited installation. Really quite ironic. And, and, and it became so popular to the degree when people would see, you know, my video base say, oh, you're now expanding into visuals. Like, well, actually, it's the opposite. Right, yeah. Well, I, I can't say it's the opposite because if I look at my history, they were happening. They, they were happening. You're not even part of it, but yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is there um, something about time that's different in a piece that has no visuals? The experience of time for the... Is, is time, do I view time like differently? A, yeah, that you manage time differently as the, as the author of the experience. Um, well, I guess, I guess in the case of, of visuals, um, you can have, I guess, what I would call an action. You're raising your right hand, you're raising your left hand, it starts here and it ends there. I guess music or a note or sound has a beginning and an end, but we don't really view it as an action. Right? We view it as, as um, a sound of, 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 a, of a certain duration. I never really thought about that. Um, but the what I did find is that, um, you know, if you're going to have a, a an environment of video and sound that is uh, synchronized with each other, and it's, I have to sort of fabricate it in a way. Well, which has dominance? Do I have the audio, and do I then edit the video to it? Or do I have the video, and I edit the audio to it? Which one is, in control is maybe not the right word, but which one, you know, which one comes first? And I find having, I think, <laughs> having the audio first was maybe better than having the video first. I think it's much more difficult to edit audio to video than video than video to audio. Um, of course, the way I'm because the audio gives you the emotional temperature, or. Well, if it if it's you know if I'm working with a musician and say, hey, do you mind if I you know, if I take this part and move it to the front, it would completely make a different composition. But in the case of a video, like at the very beginning, a lot of it would be more of a, I guess what I, I would call a montage, 
which is, you know, video is just, you know, they're really fast and you can jump or now it's a hand, now it's a person's head. You can get by with that. If you do it, if you do it with sound and music, it's really quite chaotic. And, 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 I mean, that can be desirable, but I find, I find that you have much more leeway in taking the audio, video and chopping it up than you can do with, especially if it's music. If it's sound effect, well, then you've got a little more leeway, but the sound, you know, what I like is when you clap your hands, when the hands are together, you hear that sound. I really like synchronized sound, and that's the software I developed. That's what it did. That's what it did automatically. But I don't, I guess I, I in many ways, I, I sort of merge them together. Um, and, but again, I've never created, I've never created a video-based piece with an audio, although I've created audio-based works without video. One reason is because of my interest and background in audio and visuals, I, I, don't, I don't view them as competing at all because they are doing different things. But in this case, your, your logic is, oh, I'm looking at flowing mud, right? But then when you put some crackling sounds and it gives it to an emotional feeling. So for me, there's, I, I don't distinguish the importance between them because they are they're completely different uh, perceptual experiences that can augment. And again, once they're synchronized, then it comes to life. Mm -hmm. You know, when you clap your hands, you know, if I clap my hands and there's no sound, it's like, well, that's strange. And it seems like surrealism or something. Uh, well, let's talk about oh, telephone just to, um, and also we were mentioning your background, but you also did some work with the in the telecommunications and that and. Yeah, and then yeah. you, know, uh, you had yeah. also told me um, privately that you were, you know, you had a lot of um, experience and enjoyment from yoga, and yeah, how yeah. how did um, yeah, yeah, yeah. these uh, these how did this how does this piece uh, bring yeah. those two interests together? Yeah, yeah, and in what is largely, although we see the the telephone, but um, we also uh, are mainly an auditory experience. This piece, yeah. Um, well, I guess, yeah, I got hired by, actually when I finished studying engineering and then they moved me to Toronto, I, I guess I can say in Northern Telecom, which eventually became a company called Nortel, and, and that was at the time the largest telecom company in the world. But I, I actually never worked on a telephone because the, the, the main part of a telephone system is something called a switch, which can be a $20 million box. And the one I was working on really was the biggest that you could connect 100,000 telephones to it. And it's a, it's a, I told about $20 million, depending on which features they wanted on it. Um, so I guess I, I, I learned quite a bit about the telephone system. Ironically, all of my formal art education really was funded by this company, either through my uh, salary or when I did my graduate studies, they gave me, they covered the whole expense and it was at American University, which was, which was quite, quite um, expensive. Um, but now to jump ahead many years, I guess it's been now about 23 years that I do yoga quite quite regularly and and the the with most yoga classes you begin with om and you end, end with om 
Um, and, and during some of those classes, especially if it's uh, mostly women, sounds just fantastic. In general, my own and men's own, you know, it's sort of like a goat drowning in the river. It's not, I guess it's emotional, but it, it doesn't seem to work. And, and then, truthfully, I don't know where the idea came from, um, but I thought I would do something with OM. Maybe around 2000, could be a little earlier, I'm not really sure, that uh, I sort of had the idea of the telephone. And by then I was living in Brooklyn, in New York, and, um, and then I started getting these, these phones and people would tell me, hey Don, there's, there's some junk store you know, in Williamsburg. And I saw two of them, so I'd dash over, and some of them would be in bad shape. So it took me a couple of years, actually, because I wanted the black ones. Well, I wanted them all the same color. And I think back then they were probably black or green, you know. Um, and then eventually uh, I got them. And and then I uh, that you know this piece in, it's been in production for almost twenty years, I would say. And then when it's only I I I did not finish it in New York, but I did all the recordings, and they were my yoga buddies. They were they were there's one male. Um, who was the yoga instructor. His, his own was very, it was a really good ohm. It should be. He's, he's an instructor. Um, my ohm, I recorded, it, it didn't make the cut. It made, <laughs> yeah, it didn't make it. Um, and a few others didn't make it as well. Uh, again, because some of them sound quite nice. The goal was to make something that was really quite uh, pleasant sounding, which is in complete opposition to intersection. Um, a lot of my pieces are somewhat aggressive. I didn't want to create this impression that I was obsessed with you know, aggression or anger because it's, that, that's not true. Um, so, and then I moved, what year that would be, 2006, and then I moved to Berlin. And then that was the first piece I started working on in Berlin, and then I, um, uh, had to modify the telephones. In this case, I, uh, you know, the, the the speaker which is in the headset is pretty low quality by today's standards. So I found some sort of pretty good ones. It's as as good of a speaker you can get. That's this big. Um, and then the idea though of putting, of, of, I didn't mention removing uh, the dial because these are all the dial based because this model mm -hmm. uh, historically this is called the five hundred set which is the most popular design ever made in telecommunications. I think it came from a company called Western Electric. And, 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 and then other companies could probably buy it, whatever, but the rights to produce the same, the same shape. And, um, and then I was able to find speakers that fit. I remember walking down Canal Street in Manhattan, you know, going from store to store in these these vendors thought it's price. I said it has to be exactly this size, and it has to look cool. And and then I and then I found them. And then in um, and then I, I basically then I wrote the software for it. And I don't know at what point you want me to go into detail. And then the first exhibition was in two thousand and seven in in Berlin. Well, there's actually the the configuration here is a little different than 
than the previous version. The, the initial version, actually, let me finish one thing. The problem with the exhibitions from the initial version is that the audience, I guess, were poking the speaker. We think it was because they didn't believe the sound was coming. And as the weeks went on, they basically would destroy the speakers. And, and the speaker on the phone. Speaker in the phone, right, right. This is, this is no, normally the initial, there, only, there were six phones, and well, I guess there's 12 speakers, there's a little speaker in the handset, and there's a speaker in the phone. But I was quite surprised uh, that they were damaged. And the second time it was, that would have been in, uh, um, I guess that was in the Czech Republic in Brno, and I told the curators, I said, I want to put a grill over top of it because people were punching them out. And he said, oh, the Czechs, you know, they're very well behaved. And, and at the opening, within 30 minutes, someone had punched out, you know, the, the dust cap, at least. <laughs> and, then, and then I said, okay, now you're going to have to pay me some money. And then I think three of them got damaged. And then the third thing in France, they said the same thing. Oh, the, the French, they're very well behaved. Well, it was the same thing there. And, and they were really ripped apart by the time it came, it came out of that show. So that was back in 2009. So this, what is different, one of the things that's different is the first time it's been shown with um, the grill on top. Um, and initially I didn't like it, but now, you know, the, the alternative, you know, is I don't want to keep replacing it. So the initial, uh, how the initial uh, uh, version worked is that the phones would ring randomly, and if if you would pick up the phone... The, the original version had six phones, this is one phone. Right, I'm talking about the first version first. Yeah. Um, the first. Actually, if you just picked it up and it wasn't ringing, you got dial tone. And then if you picked it up when it was ringing, then a voice would play ohm coming out of that phone, and it would do that until you put the phone, the handset back down. Now, if one of the phones is activated and then another phone rings and someone picks it up, you know, have now two ohms, but they, then they pan between each other. Um, and then if the third one gets picked up and then it pans between the three and four until eventually you have this, these six ohms going around you. Um, was there anything else? Then as, if you then would put, hang up the phone, let's say six of them were panning, then it would, it would dynamically switch to five, and it would just dynamically move, and it took quite a bit of programming to get it to do that smoothly, but it seemed to, it seemed to have worked. Um, but this version, we tried something different. In this case, I decided to rewrite the software simply because of the operating system and the version of programming it was, you know, I felt to do it. So this is, is it doesn't have the six phones, um, but what it does have is a much higher quality audio because you know you've got these good Genelec speakers here. So the way this system works, um, same thing. If you pick up the phone, you get dial tone. In this case, the dial tone will only come out of that phone. Now, um, if you right now it picks a random pause between five and twenty seconds, and then it rings. And if then if you pick it up, then you get ohm. And in this case. Since we don't have multiple phones, what I did was, after a certain amount of time, um, I think initially 20 seconds, then a second voice. So the first voice is now panning 
through the six speakers, and then 20 seconds, another voice starts panicking. If you hang up the phone, it doesn't stop immediately, it sort of fades out. It, it sort of depends on the amount of time, but the longer you hold it, that these new voices, until, if I remember, it's about 240 seconds, I think, that the sixth voice, and then you have all these six voices, some are going around you clockwise, some are going counterclockwise, and some are moving sort of randomly between them. And then it, um, I guess, at 300 seconds, then it sort of fades out. Now, um, the other option... Which is it, about five minutes. Hmm? At about five minutes. Yeah, approximately. So 300 seconds is, is, is five minutes. Um, so if, though, right now we've got to set between five and 20 seconds to ring, um, a new thing is that if you pick it up, you get dial tone, but you put it back down, and in two seconds it starts ringing again. So that's what, that's, and I sort of like that feature um, with it. Um, and did I miss so something? Right, right now the phone is off. Yeah, right now the phone is off. Now it's finished, it's 300. Well, in this case, um, it starts fading out at 300 seconds, and I think it can go up to about 40 seconds because it sort of depends where it is in what I call a sequence. Because when you, these six voices um, are combined in different ways. There's, a proc, I think, let me see, I think 70 different recordings of people saying OM. Um, but when, it, when you pick it up, there's different combinations of those voices. So I guess it's almost different constantly. And what I've done is, is when it activates what I call a group, um, some of the voices are actually random. You know, some of them say, okay, the first voice is going to be voice number eight and voice number 10, but now it's going to be the first voice, it's going to be a voice between number one and 10. In this case, by these numbers, I mean, well, which voice, you know, each, each voice is numbered. But if you, if you take it off, um, I mean, you can be holding it to your ear or you can set it down, which is what, what we have done, and now it's just sort of in this quiet state. So if I put it back again, now it goes back to this mode. So now the, the software has, has picked up, um, it's going to pick a random number of minutes between 5 and 20 before it rings again. Or I think if I go like this, sorry about that. Just gonna let it. It's gonna ring. It only ring four times. Is that okay? Like that? Um, so can I answer it, or do you want to? I don't know. Let's. No. If, so in this case, I'm not gonna answer it. And but so now it's selected another random number. Right. And nobody, we don't know what it is. I'd have to. Chose to listen. It's between five and twenty. So <laughs> there's quite a bit of randomness in it. But that's what makes it sort of unique. What about the you know the agency you're giving to the visitor? whether the piece plays yeah. or not. Like whether we hear the choir of, of Omin, uh, you know, is it really up to the people there? Because they could, we could ignore the phone. And you could ignore the phone. Play. You could ignore the um, phone, yeah. And I was just interested in that relation. And the thing about, and, that, and the phone, like the, the party line, you know, from way yeah. back, like yeah, yeah. places like here, yeah. you know, yeah. we had that for a long time. So yeah. Where, yeah. Uh, this aspect of these, you know, yeah. Pick up the phone, you'd hear other people talking. In this case, yeah, yeah. you hear this, uh, yeah. uh, these people yeah. toning. 
Well, the phone is being used, I would say, in symbolic ways. Not necessarily because I involved, because I never really designed a telephone, I designed switches. The, the phone for me is, is there's something, uh, it, it's about being called, you know, because, you know, the, the word own, um, maybe some, some people know that, I mean, it really comes from uh, Hinduism. It goes back a few thousand years and it, it basically uh, rep, it knows to represent the universe, uh, represents consciousness, represents awareness. So this is like really heavy, really heavy symbolism. So it's, it's, not, it's not a sound that, um, uh, that you can deal with lightly. So I, I'm certainly, I, I am not a scholar of OM and, and way I don't want to talk because I guess I'm not really qualified. To, to talk about it. Well, you but, can say what it means to you. But there, there is, I, I sort of like the sound, you mm -hmm. know, because I've heard OM, you know, I've done, I go to yoga quite a bit, thousands and thousands of times, and, and it is quite, it can be a pleasant sound. And apparently there is some research saying that it actually is healthy for you, that it puts, it's sort of like meditation. When, you, when you're doing OM, you can't really think of, oh, I have to buy groceries after work today. Sort of, especially when a group of people are doing it, and they're found that it's that sort of therapeutic, like 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 meditation does um, do it. But in my case, what I liked about the symbolism. Now I'm not sure if it was something I did purposely or accidental. It's like you're being called by the universe, right? It's sort of like an idea. I mean, but I don't want to sound, you know, because that could sound a bit sort of flaky in a way. But oh, but the phone is often used in cinema and poetry and many art forms yeah, to yeah. signify this connection yeah. to yeah, yeah. to um, something that's not there in the room with you yeah. that suddenly entered yeah. and uh, uh, even yeah. can be uh, yeah. in a poetic way a voice yeah. of the uh, uh, of someone who's no longer there I guess I like that better now this you might not believe what I'm going to say is that when I did this piece I had no recollection that I used to you know be involved in telecommunications design. That's not that's not why I did it. And ironically, when I looked the other day and I look on here, it actually is a Northern Telecom phone, which is strange coincidence because the other six I have, none of them are Northern Telecom. So the fact that this one is a Northern Telecom is a, is a really strange, really strange coincidence. And I didn't even in Montreal I didn't notice that. I only noticed it here. Mm -hmm. um, because on the handset, the handset is for Western Electric. Oh, yeah. um, so because <laughs> when I bought these, sometimes the handset would be broken, and sometimes oh. the body would be broken, so they, they were it's pieced nice. together. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I'm also trying to picture uh, you're in a yoga studio doing yoga class and starting with the OM and hearing this chorus of voices, and, yeah. and is the playback of it among just the six speakers here, anything like that? Well, or the difference it... is, you know, the, my classes, depending on the day, there can be up to 35 people. So the sound is coming from every direction, especially if, you know, you're sitting. You're sitting in the middle. It doesn't really move, but I sort of... I'm not sure why I started, you know, the movie. Well, actually, I think I know why, because in... Maybe I should describe intersection. So intersection is is um, usually about a about a fifteen by maybe twelve meter room, completely dark. It's an eight channel sound system, 
um, and there are basically four pairs and the speakers face each other. And then it's like, it's basically like four lanes of traffic is what it is. And when the visitor walks into the room and the room really has light lock doors, so it really is black. And then you see if the English version, you see an exit sign, dimly lit exit sign. And, and in this case, these are your instructions. This is how you use the piece. What do you do with an exit sign? You walk towards it. So the cars are coming in and then sound is moving from one speaker to another to create the illusion that the car is moving across the space. And like this one, went randomly. So car goes across and selects a random number, I think between, if I remember, between three and maybe 20 seconds till the next car comes. Each lane is an independent system. So it can be complete silence or you can have four cars they shoot across the screen. Now, if you stand in front of a car, when it's coming, and, and the way it's, I've adjusted it, it still comes until it's, it sounds like it's almost in front of you, and then it screeches to a halt. And then you hear it idling in front of you. This is why we usually have like you know, at least 12-inch speaker, so we have a good, good rumbling sound coming out of it. And then uh, if you would then leave, and then you hear the car sort of start accelerating slowly, moves across the room. If you remain standing after the car stops, then subsequent cars come, they smash into that car. So nobody, <laughs> nobody knows this. And, and um, each lane is so independent. The traffic, you cause a crash. That's right, that's right. <laughs> and each lane can be independent. Now, again, this piece was created because that particular year, I did not get a Canada Council grant. And I thought, well, it's going to be less expensive for me to make a sound installation. And, and, um, but actually, in a way, it's one of your more elaborate pieces. It's only, a, or you mean expensive? Well, only from the exhibitor's perspective, because I don't provide the sound system. Mm -hmm. I did um, basically, uh, back then it was an Amiga computer, uh, eight channels, a uh, Roland sampler, and then um, uh, infrared sensors. And then I had to design um, an interface, how do, the, how do the sensors talk to the computer? So from my perspective, it's sort of less, expensive than, than, um, uh, uh, than a video-based piece. Less expensive in the sense of what it takes to generate the content? I don't need a very powerful computer to do that, mm -hmm. right? When, right? These days when I'm working with, you know, 6K and, and stuff like that, or, or uh, back then, you know, if you wanted good graphics, it was really quite expensive. It was really the computer. So that sure. meant by expensive you had to acquire the equipment or you had to go to places to work? The well, in this case, you know, I need to have the equipment in my studio, so I sort of need to own it because, I mean, some, like this piece I've been working on for almost 20 years, and it's gone through, well, this is, well, the previous computer, that was a 2004, I think, uh, Mac Mini, that was, that was uh, accommodating it, um, but I think, you know, so that's, you know, your question, that's where... I sort of got interested in sound moving from across the room. And then at that time, I knew, I knew people at uh, the sound engineering uh, department at McGill. And I was, you know, they were giving me some suggestions. They told me, because I didn't, I'd seen friends using samplers, but I didn't really pay attention. They said the sampler is the way to go. Because at that time, like an eight channel audio card 
this was 1993. Um, I don't think it existed mm -hmm. back then. I think. For intersection, you, uh, in order to do intersection, you had to use a sampler. That was, yeah, I got it. But, and also because, you know, even then this box, which was quite expensive, uh, could only hold, what was it, like 20 seconds of audio or something like that. And how did I create all these lanes? I had the same sample, but I played at different speeds. So it sounds like this is a different car going go, go slower. Because often, you know, I have to, you know, how can I, how can I do this? And, and it's one thing when I, when I worked <clears throat> after, you know, designing the uh, uh, telecommunications equipment, I eventually was being hired by uh, Northern Telecom's R&D company, which was called Bell Northern Research. And they were doing really high-end, you know, in this case, human interface design. So that's where I ended up with a group of psychologists. And I guess they seemed to like me because I was coming out with wacky ideas, but that's exactly what they were looking for. They were looking for something that, you know, people weren't uh, developing. Because when I first started doing the, um, uh, you know, video being controlled by music people. Why would you do something like that? This is before Max and Speed. This is for all of these other programming language that now do it. And and it was the thing is when you come up with a new idea, usually most people don't like it. They don't they don't actually recognize it. And that's something that you know, as an academic, I really investigated innovation. I found this is popular all over. And I was talking to individuals who specialized, these are consultants for innovation. And they told me the biggest bottleneck that these high-tech companies have is they really don't want to be innovative. Because if you put a lot of money into creating a new idea, you don't really know if you're going to get anything out of it. You know, And it's just like, you know, I remember when the Macintosh came out and I'm living in Boston, uh, you know, doing my graduate studies. And there were people, oh, you know, icons, pull them in. It's for children. You know, the real people, they type the command like MS-DOS. Yeah, well, who does that today? Right? <laughs> right? Because this was innovative, mm -hmm. you know, using the icons, but most people don't recognize it. And back then, people, like, I think when I graduated, then I was a professor at, um, Concordia, and I had this system, people from computer science, like, why would you want to do anything like this? Because they, they sort of look at technology in one particular way, and the things, the art stuff I'm looking, they say, well, you know, this is, what's, what's the purpose of, of doing that? But the approach, I went on a tangent, but the approach, one thing I learned from, especially from Bell Northern Research, was the difference between coming up with an idea for an electronic device is quite different than actually designing an electronic device. Like it's one thing, you know, you know, designing a new telephone, but it's another designing the first telephone because you have to come up with the idea. And the history we were talking last night, the history of the telephone is very, very interesting um, because for, apparently for the first 30 years, it was not very popular because no one, why would we want something? Why would I want to talk to my neighbor, my, my cousin on, in another city? I mean, <laughs> amazing, amazing, amazing. There's a psychic connection. Well, actually, I would just let it because otherwise we're going to get the ohm. Yeah, that's okay. We're going to get the ohm coming out of it. Oh, interesting.
Um, but um, but I mean the, this aspect of the, the, this phone ringing, and then immediately I have this instinct to go and grab it, and um, so in a way the, you're you're creating an interface that uh, invites participation. Well, what a few people have accused me of is doing psychology experiments with the audience. And I do have a degree in psychology, and I did <laughs> do psych real psychology experiments. And, and, that, um, and, and I guess this one is like that as well. The one that most people talk about is um, it's a piece called Vox Populi, and I think that was 2004 where there's a very large video projection of a crowd of people and they're all clapping and going speech, speech. And in front is a lectern with a microphone and a video monitor with a speech. There's no the speeches are not titled, but they're by Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy, like Ich bin ein Berliner, I have a dream. And, and depending on the country that it gets exhibited, I would select a famous speech. When you, so this, this is why it's more like an experiment. It's like, okay, you're being asked to be a leader and some people do it because everyone in the audience, they're sort of looking around who's going to, they can tell because the crowd, this is what I do in a lot of my pieces. I don't have any printed instructions. The piece tells you what to do. So the people are going speech, speech. Well, they're telling you to give a speech. So someone eventually goes up. And then they start reading it. It's a, it's a voice control teleprompter. Um, and then the software I wrote is actually determining your level of confidence. So if you are not very confident, um, the crowd will start booing you. If you're confident, they start clapping and then you can go through different levels until they're just going crazy because you know, you're the new John F. Kennedy. Or, or something like that. So there is quite a psychological aspect to it. And my, my degree is actually in social psychology, which is you know, how, how people behave in, in, in social situations. That's sort of related. Um, I, I tend not to think about that, but it seems to just happen. It seems to happen naturally. And, and I, I think, you know, me ending up doing this type of work was not the direction that I had expected. <coughs> I didn't really study engineering and work in telecommunication because that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to fund my art education because I knew as a painter that was, you know, going to be sort of going to be difficult. <laughs> but then, and then when, um, you know, my last, my last semester in Boston where I started working with George Lewis is a pretty well-known, you know, musician from New York, and then the door swung open, and then suddenly I'm showing in Europe, and suddenly in Asia, and it just, and that's actually why I went into electronics because, wow, this is, you know, this is this is the path that I guess I'm supposed to follow. I mean, I never exhibited any painting outside of Ontario, other than Seoul, of course. Well, uh, with, with things like Vox Populi, and in a, in a completely different way, this piece, um, that they're kind of creating a type of theater. Is that part of the rules of making the piece? Is how does this function yeah, yeah, yeah. in a theatrical way? I guess it's human behavior. I mean, I mean, I mean, if you're... Is there a line there between theater and psychology? 
again, I sort of just merge them together. I, I don't, I don't try to to distinguish them in in a certain way. But I, I am, I am really an observer of human behavior. When I write, that's often what I'm writing about, and, and particularly the relationship between ethics and aesthetics, which some people say there's no relationship. Well, my most widely cited paper is called the Ethics of Aesthetics, because you know, if you look at a lot of, this case, theater is something I'm not extremely familiar with, I'm much more familiar with narrative film. There's some relationship there, but uh, you have a lot of more uh, leeway, you have a lot of more options with cameras, you know, in, in theater, that, you know, if you are creating films that have an enormous amount of violence in it, I'm pretty sure that you are going to motivate people to be violent, and I know, and I forgot what film it was, but in that film there's a depiction of some character It goes into a, a subway station in New York to buy a ticket. In this case you would have like sort of a plexiglass window with a little hole. He then squirted lighter fluid into it. So this is in the film. And then threw a match. And I guess, you know, so that's, I'm not sure if the guy got killed, but this is really something that happened. Um, okay, I'm sorry, that's in the film. But then shortly after someone really did that. They really did that. They, they squirted it, and they, and they, I'm not sure if the guy died or something. So I'm, I'm quite interested in how media of any type, because in, in, in many ways, you know, interactive installations, paintings, social media, theater, film, I look at them all the same way, that these are experiences of, of media, and they are all promoting a certain type of ethic. And that's what I think I am more concerned with than the actual technology. I use this technology simply because, well, this is what I know. This is what I know how to do. That's, and, and I guess, you know, it's, it's sort of, uh, I mean, my whole development of this type of work was really a series of circumstances and opportunities that developed. I, I didn't try to be, you know, this type of person. Even when I was in, at, um, University of Waterloo, which is where I did the psychology degree and the fine arts degree, um, and I sort of had three separate lives in a way, I had no intention of combining them. And that when I was finishing, I thought, well, should I then go for a master's in fine arts? Or, but I thought, well, maybe I should become a psychologist. And then someone said, Someone there told me, they said, you know, at MIT there's a place called the Center for Advanced Visual Studies where artists use technology, and that's where Namjoon Pike had been, and a lot of, you know, uh, these sort of pioneers of electronic art. And then I thought, wow, I never, never really occurred to me to use electronics as my art medium, because at Waterloo, well, the one piece, I had a little sound recording, but that was about it. And then every summer I would go back and work for Nortel or, or for... Bell Northern Research, and then when I got to MIT, they just opened. Oh, Dawn, yeah, this is this is what we do here, and I got in, you know, no no problem. I think because of my background in engineering, and at the time, that was a pretty unique place. I didn't know any other school in the world that was doing that, and that that center, in a way, started like in the 1950s. It really grew out of the Bauhaus. The Bauhaus, these guys were using electronics like Lazlo Mohenaj, if I'm pronouncing his name, uh, 
correctly. And it was like, God, well, this, I don't know how it happened, but this is where mm -hmm. I should be. Mm -hmm. That's how it ended up. So that's, and again, I, 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 I sort of put everything together because that's just the way it happened. So what about um, the future? Where, 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 what do you have coming up and, and where, where are your interests going nowadays? Well, the, um, uh, I guess when I first started doing, I guess I didn't mention that this type of work, it was really uh, performance based. Um, when I had written this software that allowed music to control video and then I worked with George Lewis and then suddenly all these opportunities happened and then I focused on that for about three years and then it was uh, you know George is a pretty famous guy and people would say are you George's technician I said not exactly so I, <laughs> I said is, it, is this is this George's software I said not exactly this is my software and I handled the imagery but his you know reputation was so big I understood and I well I can't do this any I can't work with George anymore um, and uh, and then I thought well, I'm going to do installations so a lot of the stuff with George, the imagery, when I look at it, I'm almost sort of embarrassed, but it was, I was really into surrealism. And, and, then, um, and then with intersection, Vox Populi, which are sort of, the sort of realism, I would say. Mm -hmm. And then in 2015, I got invited to do a uh, architectural projection, or some people call it media facade, where you project onto buildings and that was in uh, South Korea and then and since then I, I really got more into um, um, I guess what is called substance metaphors where in, in most cases if we look at uh, symbolism of uh, the symbolism is is more uh, apparent when you look at the object in the case of, of substance metaphor you're 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 referring not to the substance as much as a characteristic of the substance. Mm -hmm. So in in the case of of uh, water, um, water has the ability to uh, to reshape itself to any situation, and 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 I know that water is an important symbol in Taoism. An important aspect of Taoism is just to accommodate, you know, you, you, this is the situation around you, this is the way it is, don't be angry, this is, that's sort of like water. So I found that, that quite interesting, and then I got more into the symbolism of smoke and mud and, and even plants, and, and so my last big pieces, that's in fact what they're all, so they're, they're, they're much more um, minimalistic, but technologically, in fact, they're much more complicated because dealing with really high resolution and, you know, uh, sometimes, <clears throat> you know, these video projectors, you know, we've got, you know, half a million dollars worth of video projectors. So um, um, that's the direction I've been going the last few years.
the 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 my more complicated pieces like box and there have another one called vested which is really the most complicated i don't i don't think i want to do that again mm -hmm. there is you know that piece there's four computers two moving lights uh, four cameras infrared detection hundreds and hundreds of feet of cabling which is quite exciting but to really do that effectively i would i would need a group and sometimes i have had full-time assistance in berlin and hong kong but right now i don't have a full-time assistant so uh i can't exactly answer your question uh but um but is it, there's a telephone in the idea of reducing it down and this to a single phone and with you know with existing speaker systems that this is a kind of practical solution in a way that that maybe um that there's that bring the scale of pieces down to i guess i guess i guess into something yeah, experienced yeah. online I, I guess it depends you know you know darren you've got these six genelex and uh, subwoofers but most places aren't even going to have any speakers mm -hmm. you know so other places you know i guess I guess my work has been exhibited with at places with you know big budgets and whatever you want to other places that um well the funny story one place years ago said don we don't have much of a budget but you know you can do whatever you want i said yeah but it's always that way <laughs> i'm not i'm not a commercial artist you know you're not hiring me to make I can, you know, as we did here, sort of modify it to to fit your resources and space. I'm happy to do that, but no one, no one tells me. And when I was an academic, this really confused a lot of my colleagues. They couldn't quite understand, like, what do you mean you you just make pieces? Because you know, a lot of the artists that are doing the type of work I do are full time academics because mm -hmm. the I would say the established art world has not really accepted this. Mm -hmm. You know, there's still, you know, the painting, the painting is still God, mm -hmm. basically. That's where the money is made. That's the people that get the attention. But like myself, you know, I was full-time academic 23 years and I know a lot of other people doing it because if you want to do this type of work, for most cases, that's the only way. There is one exception, and that would probably be like Raphael Lozano Hammer, who, you know, in Montreal, he's probably done better than, than any other artist. Because I, I know lots of artists, you know, working with this genre, especially in Europe and, and New York, but somehow Raphael has, has done better, better than most. I think he's got something like 40, 40 staff of 40 people working mm -hmm. for him. You know, so, yeah. That's incredible. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think that, that the university has replaced the Arts Council in many ways to, as far as uh, um, patroning uh, experimental work, you know, yeah. uh, I think that, that, yeah, um, yeah. that, that, the, um, that that's almost a yeah. necessary yeah. And it's not only the salaries uh, paying for your time, but also the uh, access to uh, money to purchase equipment or to use equipment that's already there, yeah. Um, yeah. as well as uh, space, you know, having an yeah. uh, institution with big yeah. spaces. Yeah. Um, you know, Arts, Arts Council uh, funding for an organization, institution that's funded yeah. only from the Arts Council, it gets you, you know, maybe a thousand square feet 
in total. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not a thousand yeah, square yeah, feet for yeah, every piece that yeah, they're showing at that yeah. time. So, so it's, uh, it's, it's, um, uh, it's. I mean, the only problem with the academic context is the is that is is the lack of public access to the work. Uh, you know, unless there's unless there's a, uh, some outlet for that to happen, um, and things like projection mapping or large festivals and things like that provide that um, context. But yeah. but um, but uh, so, but there is a lot of work that doesn't get seen in the academic context, yeah. even though it has lots yeah. of resources yeah. and time put into yeah. making it. Yeah. Well, even some, you know, I guess some of the, you know, the big institutions, I guess it's still, we don't hear about them as much as the ZKM in Germany, which is enormous. And then there is Ars Electronica in, in Austria. I, when I talk to people in the art world, most people never heard of these places. Mm -hmm. ZKM, I mean, these people are, and, and Ars Electronica, they're dealing with millions of dollars. This, yeah. These are not small budgets. You know, I've been to Ars Electronica many times, the last time, 2017, where I had a piece there, 80,000 people over a three-day period. I mean, that's, I mean that's, that's enormous. But what I found, you know, now this type of department that I was in at MIT is now very, very common, you know, that, yeah. under different yeah. names. But what I found is that a lot of the the institution themselves is not really interested in this type of work. They're sort of, they're trying to push you more to, you know, what's the next killer app, uh -huh. you know? So okay. they, if, you know, so you would probably, for some users, they would, they would prefer to hire someone that's you know, writing apps for a smartphone than, you know, multi-channel video sound installation, because this type of work, there, there's really no, practical function it's, it's an aesthetic function it's, it is like it's an artwork that's what its function is it's it's not meant to be anything other than that mm -hmm. which even confuses a lot of people with my work they don't quite understand why would you why would you actually do this mm -hmm. but it's like going to the cinema you know why would you go see a film exactly it's the escape exactly. it's the yeah but this is new the cinema has been around for a hundred years yeah. this is they don't they don't this quite another way understand of stories like my piece vox populi once where at the BAMP center giving a talk and, and a lawyer said this would be great for teaching people public speaking skills. So it was going to be, a, and I thought, yeah, you're sort of right. She said, you should do it. I said, okay, we're business partners. You handle the business side. I'll handle, handle the other side. I, I, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to look at it that way. I mean, mm -hmm. This is what I'm, I'm interested in. And, and, okay, I'll be blunt. I'm basically playing for me. I've been playing my whole life with, you know, painting and, and sculpture and electronics and and I sort of enjoy I enjoy doing that and I don't want to go back to you know designing you know telecommunications equipment mm -hmm. that was Don Ritter in conversation with me Darren Copeland at the NASA North Media Arts Center in South River to see videos and read more about Don Ritter's work you can visit his website at aesthetic-machinery.com and uh, you've been listening, of course, to Making Waves and watching it on the NASA Tube podcast on video. Making Waves is produced every month by New Adventures in Sound Art for WGXC Wave Farm. Thanks for joining us. Join us again one month from now. <laughs>